Well, welcome to uh, Ministry Hangout with Pastor Greg Surratt. Uh, we're so excited that you guys have joined us today. We think we have a uh, just a really cool uh, opportunity for us to learn and to hear stories um, just of, of redemption and of what God can do in lives and also to learn about how you uh, yourself can learn from, from guys who have walked journeys that I think you can learn from. So we're excited about that. Let me tell you a little bit about what we do here on Ministry Hangouts. Um, we have got an archive now of over 20 Ministry Hangouts that we are just excited that you can learn from as a staff. You can download them as a podcast. You can go to ministryhangouts.com and watch them on video or listen to them on audio there. Share them with your staff. Talk about them with your staff, and we've got them listed there by topic. So uh, you can pay us uh, a visit there at ministryhangouts.com, and uh, we'd love to help your staff grow. And uh, you can pay attention also to what's coming up next um, in uh, the future months uh, at ministryhangouts.com. If you sign up for our newsletter there, we'll keep you up to date every month on uh, what's happening, and so you can stay uh, connected. Also, right now for our live audience, um, if you want to ask a question of our panel today, just hashtag it with Ministry Hangouts on Twitter. Uh, give us your question, and we'll do our best to get to every one of those if we can today um, on our Hangout. So without uh, further ado, uh, let me uh, introduce who we've got on the call here. First and foremost is this uh, Hangout is named after him. Pastor Greg Surratt, how are you doing, Greg, and where are you joining us from today? Hey, I'm doing great, Sean, and I am joining you uh, from downtown New York City. Uh, in fact, uh, we've been running through the subways, uh, grabbed a, just a bite at a deli. There's nothing like a New York deli. And I got connected up to the Internet with, with seven minutes left to spare. So it's great. It's awesome. Uh, I'm here for a human tra trafficking uh, symposium, and so... Uh, we're excited about that. It's always good to be in New York City. And uh, excited about being here with some friends. So, Sean, why don't you tell us uh, who else we have? Absolutely. Uh, first, uh, to my right on the screen here, Michael Lukazuski. I've been practicing that for eight months, Michael, and I still can't get it right, man. It's Michael. Uh, it's Michael. all good. And uh, Michael's with us. He's going to tell you a little bit about what he's up to now. Uh, Michael has uh, been involved with the Rocket Company recently. Uh, and has just uh, is been uh, doing great ministry with churches. Also over to my left, Pastor Dino Rizzo. How are you, Pastor Dino? Doing well, doing well. Right. And Pastor Dino is joining us from Houston today where he is at an ARC uh, symposium as well, an ARC uh, gathering, and, uh, and he'll tell you a little bit about what he's up to in a minute. And then Pastor Chip Judd over there chilling out as he always is. How's it going, Pastor Chip? Pretty good, man. I'm sitting here in paradise, Charleston, South Carolina. That's right. And Chip is on staff at Seacoast and uh, uh, counsels with a lot of church planning organizations and helping guys stay healthy and uh, love uh, having this. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Pastor Greg. We can jump right into our topic today. Again, tweet your questions out so we can ask the panel uh, what's happening. All right. Let me uh, let me just talk to each one of you a minute about what you're up to now. Michael, uh, Sean mentioned the rocket company. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so so actually I just stepped down. I've been running the rocket company for a couple years now. I, I've been there for about three years, and uh, I'm still involved, so I'm not leading it day to day. But what I, what I help do is create the content that churches use. And so we created um, Giving Rocket to help churches with money, Preaching Rocket to help pastors preach, and Volunteer Rocket to help churches kind of involve and disciple volunteers, and so um, been doing that for three years. I'm still connected there, uh, but just last month I kind of stepped back from some of the day-to-day -day stuff to focus 
uh, more on helping churches individually. So I get to uh, I get to get my hands dirty still. So I love it. Good, good. Well, thanks for being on. Thanks for having Dino, me, Dino. What what's happening with you? You're in Houston, and uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. Yeah, I'm in Houston at an Ark Exchange. We're parted up with Grace Church here, Pastor Scott Jones. So myself and Pastor Chris Hodges will be hosting this tomorrow with about. I don't agree. I think there are about 100, 125 pastors, church planners are going to be here. So we are now living in Birmingham, Alabama, and I am working with Church of the Highlands, being a part of that team, and doing a lot of their outreach and overseeing their Dream Center and, and all their kind of downtown outreaches, local outreaches, as well as assisting Pastor Chris. And then us also I get the privilege of serving at work. I just love underneath you, Pastor Greg, and uh, just helping church planners and pastors and Every day, trying to see the kingdom move forward through planning incredible, highly resourced, life-giving churches. So, loving it and enjoying my role in these two different roles. Yeah, and doing a good job. I, at least I know from my point of view, Dino is the executive director, uh, which means that he leads the day-to-day -day operation of the ARC. We have uh, two or three directors that are over various areas, and uh, Dino gives leadership to the day-to-day and uh, is doing just a, a fantastic job. And we'll get back to you in just a minute. Chip Judd. Yes, sir. Good to see you, man. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Well, I have the privilege and fun to be on staff here at Seacoast, one of the pastors. And uh, I kind of pastor all our pastors and staff and different campuses. And uh, I, I, I just love trying to help folks, uh, you know, be the best version of themselves, stay healthy, get healthy, build good marriages, and uh, just love the privilege of working with these young couples and families and leaders and uh, just, uh, just a great place in life right now. You also do some consulting with uh, church staffs uh, on health and uh, uh, wellness a little bit. Tell me, tell me how that works. What, what, what do you do when you go in? Well, the, the thing that you know shows up eventually is I've been a marriage and family counselor for about 30 years, got a master's degree and all that craziness, but um, it evolved into my going into churches and um, working with the, the leader, his marriage, his family, uh, his staff, and doing conflict resolutions, team development, but, but really focused a lot on uh, the phrase that I've kind of landed on is how to build a high health, high capacity culture a culture that gets a lot of stuff done, but in a way that people stay healthier. So it's been fun. It really has. I'm honored. Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, you're on staff. Uh, you guys, honestly, uh, he does a lot for our staff, uh, but he does more for me individually than for anybody, <laughs> and uh, probably related to you know, some of the health issues that we'll maybe talk about uh, today a little bit. So it's a little different conversation. Uh, in light of your stories, uh, a lot of times we'll just talk about a specific, uh, you know, kind of a ministry skill. And uh, today uh, we're going to go a little bit di uh, uh, deeper. Uh, I think that it is a subject that is needed. Um, but honestly, none of you are, uh, you don't owe us anything. You don't owe us talking about your story. Uh, so, so tell me, why have you decided and I know this is not the first time for uh, Dino to kind of sit down with a group of people and talk about it. I know that you, I think yesterday or day before, you were on a leadership network 
uh, broadcast all over the world and talk just a little bit. Well, uh, Dino, tell me just what, what, why why have you decided to share your story? Well, you you believe that your your pain can can help other people, and I think that's the, what the whole the gospel is all about. It's it's taking the bad news and with Christ and grace and turn it in, into good news. And um, so you want to share that, and you don't want to see people make some of the decisions you made. You want to do all you can to offer your life, your story, your walk, and do all we can to maybe help somebody avoid something, to take heed, or come along someone that is struggling and to help them through that struggle and let them know that now is not forever, that you can get through it, you can get beyond it, and God's grace is sufficient. And there is restoration from a thousand different types of failures. So if, um, I've kind of walked somewhat closely uh, in this situation. I know that, um, and, and we'll, we'll go through a little bit uh, some of the pain and some of the process of restoration, but I know that uh, since you have in the last uh, four or five months uh, kind of you know, opened yourself to talking about these things. Uh, have you had a lot of, of pastors ringing your phone saying, help me? You know, t tell us just a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been 22 months. I stepped down from Healing Place 22 months ago. And so, you know, the first year you're really spending time on yourself. You know, for about nine months, Greg, you guys let me get healthy and, and reevaluate and, and spend time with my wife and my family resting and, and physically getting healthy and spiritually soulish. And then, you know, immediately you, you want to move to taking, you know, what you've walked through. And so it has been amazing the last year, really starting in about July, August, was when uh, we started connecting with other people and, and going very slowly about that in a healthy way, like, like Pastor uh, Judd said. But, you know, definitely it, it's – I think yesterday alone I talked to three different individuals about different struggles and different challenges. That's just in one day. So uh, it is an awesome opportunity uh, to share in the pain uh, with those that are wanting to see God bring healing and just be real. I mean, just here's what we're going through. Here's what we're facing. Take it off the mask and all the the bull that we live through and we, uh, we, we come off with. And so just loving these conversations. I, I just feel like they're so healthy, no matter what degree they're in, whether it's it's a restoration or it's a hey, I feel like I'm sinking, or hey, what can we do to help other people? Uh, you know, we've categorized so many things, and uh, I just like taking the myths off and just saying, hey, we're humans. Let's talk about the human journey and God's grace and truth. So yes, every day talking to someone who is struggling. Michael, what about you? You uh, why? Uh, why are you sharing your story? How do you feel about that? Uh, give us a little background on that. Yeah, you know, for um, for for so long while I was dealing with stuff, I did not talk talk to people, and so um, you know, I had kind of bought into the myth that um, you know, leadership is lonely at the top, and um, kind of intentionally walled myself off from different people. Um, kind of in the name of protecting different stuff. And so for so long, I was struggling with stuff but was alone and didn't feel like I could talk to anybody or that anybody I could talk to could get me fired or, you know, cause all this kind of stuff. And so it was, it was, um, I was very protective 
of, of myself. And then I'm a natural introvert, so that kind of compounded on each other. And so during my really period of unhealth, I, I was so introverted and so quiet and didn't let people in. Um, and, and, and then since then, you know, I, I'm still an introvert, but I've realized the value of having people to talk to and, and not keeping stuff to yourself. And so kind of in this season of my life, you know, I didn't set out to, you know, build a ministry around this or do anything. A friend to people. Um, and I, because people were that for me and, and, you know, when that whole when the whole thing happened and part of my recovery which I think we'll get into um, was that people were willing to jump in the hole with me and um, they're willing to get their hands dirty and 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 be there for me and so I hear that in Pastor Dino as well of just saying hey um, I as strange as it seems I feel blessed in that mess I was blessed and so kind of on the backside of it I want to just be a blessing, and I don't know what that looks. It's different for all different kinds of different people. Um, so if my story can help or encourage either somebody going through something or help somebody walk someone else through it, um, you know, I, I think some good can come from that. So talk to me a minute, Michael, about uh, how did you get into the pit that you found yourself in? Are there some telltale signs in your life? Um, how'd you get there? Yep. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't realize it at the time because, um, you know, one of the things I, I pretty quickly did was get into counseling. And so I had this stigma against counseling for a long time. And so when I got into counseling, my counselor helped me understand the issue behind the issue. And I think for a lot of people, you know, there's there's issues and they're visible. And, and, and even when stuff comes out, people think, oh, that was the issue. But really when you got into it, you realize there was this issue beneath that. And so what happened for me was, um, you know, my issue was not necessarily physical attraction to somebody or any of that. My issue was um, what was um, I needed attention, hmm. and I needed attention from people. Wherever I got attention from, I gravitated to that. And so I, I spent, you know, five years as a church planner building on the outside a successful church, but on the inside I was insulating myself from any real relationships and so anytime I would get attention, I would, I would gravitate to that. And so my counselor helped me understand that it, it, would, it would, you know, the root thing was a pride, was an, a, a need for attention, you know, these kind of things that flush themselves out in very unhealthy ways. Um, but it was a system I built. I, you know, I created it. I created that where I allowed that system, that boundaryless system. Um, and, it, you know, I, I suffered because of what I created. Mm. Well, we'll come back and talk about um, kind of uh, the, the journey for you, and I, I really want to get into maybe some of the boundaries that you've discovered. Dino, what about you? What uh, um, what led to the the poor decisions and, and led to the pit? Well, it's similar. I mean, what Mike was saying is so true. You know, the, this thing is not really that thing, and what happens is when something comes public. Everyone points to the thing, the thing, the moral failure, the, the inappropriate. Of course, those things are, 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 of course, sin and wrong and failure, but you realize that it is a symptom of a deeper issue that's going on in your life. And uh, But you really, at that time, you really can't, that's not really what everyone's talking about. And so, you know, I, along with what Mike was saying, you know, got a great coach, a great counselor who just started dealing with my life and my pace of life and my, you know, uh, unbridled uh, speed in which I lived my life and uh, was proud of the exhaustion, was proud of the pace. I, I liken it was, 
I was like a guy that enjoyed jumping out of a plane, take it as high as you could, get as much speed as you could, and I wanted to see how close to the ground I could get to pull this parachute. And so often, you know, the adrenaline rush of ministry, of success, the narcotic of growth uh, was just like crack cocaine of just go, 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 approval, approval. And one day you pull that chute and it doesn't open and you crash. And so, you know, I think so much of what I have learned is healthy boundaries, rest. I just feel sane. I feel at peace. I did not have a lot of peace. I was a man of war. Where's the fight? Where's the heal? And you realize at the end of the day, you've got to rest. You've got to come down into some relationships and be true and transparent. And the other thing, Pastor Greg, is I didn't know how to deal with my pain. I was in a lot of pain in a lot of areas. And because of the way I was raised, Italian, strong, you don't talk about your pain. You suck it up. What happened was when I began to suck it up, it became like a big black hole and everything sucked into it. Mm. So that's just some things that I've, I've been learning. And I think that's why the reason why I made poor choices. And there were 30, 40, 50 bad choices that I made. It was a... It was about a six-month combination of a lot of bad choices, probably about two years of leading up to it, of, of living very unhealthy in my pace of life. So then came the crash. And uh, um, so, so, so what happened right away? What, what uh, Michael, how did it cut? You know, I mean, you don't have to get into any details you don't want to get into, but how did it come down? What were the feelings? Tell me about the first month or two. Yeah, and 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 you know part of part of my whole process was really, uh, and you said said this earlier, Pastor Greg, that um, you know we don't I don't feel the need to justify or owe it owe everybody what happens. But part of the healing process for me is I'm actually comfortable uh, about being honest. And so just so everybody understands what we're talking about, if they don't know, I mean I had an affair and resigned uh, from my church because of that. And it was a night thing. It went on for a period of time. And what happened was during that time, I didn't have a truth problem. I knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, um, but but you kind of built. I built all these systems and stuff around to kind of keep that compartmentalized. Um, and so you know, for for a period of time, um, I, and if anybody's ever done this, living a double life is exhausting. I mean, it's just exhausting. It, it, you can do it. And if you're a if you're a smart person or a sinister person um, or a leader, you can absolutely do it. But it is emotionally and spiritually and physically exhausting. Um, I was getting sick, you know. I mean, I was I was physically sick um, from having to cover things and and lie. And I absolutely believe that physical symptoms can be a result of a spiritual problem. And so, I, you know, I'm sick. I'm struggling with all this stuff. And I finally got to. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there's a breaking point or the bottom or whatever people want to call it, um, but but to where I said I cannot I cannot do this anymore. And I've heard somebody say when the pain and I always get this wrong every time I say it when the pain of uh, staying the same is great greater greater than the pain of change you you'll change. And so I just kind of came to the point where I was like, you know what? If my if if I lose my family, if I lose my wife, if I lose my ministry. Um, you know, so be it. I, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And so, the, actually, the first person I called um, was a buddy, a buddy of mine uh, named Casey. And I called him and told him. Well, I actually texted him, and then I called him, and he left where he was 
um, and flew to where I was and met me and kind of what I he was I kind of explained the whole story to him and um, you know that's a that's a dangerous thing because once you talk about it it becomes real and so once I once I shared the whole story with him I mean he literally drove me back and I confessed everything to my wife that night and that that was kind of that that was the that was the day that kind of um, you know changed changed the trajectory for, particularly for the last three years so that was that was a little over three years ago um, but it was it was just that it was that breaking point of just going I, I cannot live this double life um, anymore and I knew all along it was wrong it's not like I had this realization to go oh I realized this was wrong because I heard a sermon about how this was wrong um, that was that was never it it was it was you know just it was just that breaking point I think where God just kind of got to me so you confessed it to your wife. Tell me about the emotions. Um, ab absolutely miserable. Um, absolutely miserable. And so I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, so I, I, I was, um, this is how jacked up I was. I was, I was actually consulting with a church and texting and calling Casey and telling him, telling this stuff. So drove home that, that night and sat down um, with her and just told her the, the, I mean, literally the whole story. And, um, you know, hurt, you know, the, and I think particularly for, for guys, um, the hurt that we cause ourselves, we can kind of deal with, but the hurt that we would inflict on, you know, our wife or kids is, is way tougher. Um, and so just seeing the hurt and the pain in her eyes was, was absolutely miserable. Um, you know, and, but I was in it, you know, at that point it's, it's once I kind of got it out as hurtful as it was out and you can't, fix stuff. You can't fix anything, but stuff can't be fixed until there's honesty. And so, you know, it was, it was really painful. Hardest Second hardest conversation I ever had, because the hardest was when I had to sit down with my kids about a week later and tell them what was going on. Um, they were like nine and six and, you know, five at the time. And so that was, that was, that was pretty hard as well. So there's just no easy, there's no easy way to do that. So don't, don't do what I did. You won't have to do that. No, I've uh, I I didn't I wasn't there for that meeting uh, with either of you, but I have been there with that meeting with several uh, pastors. And um, if you've never been there, if you've never sat through the emotion that happened in the moment of confession, it's almost like everybody should be there. Just to uh, there's a hurt there that's unlike just about anything else. You know, uh, it may even be more severe than, you know, a, a spouse that dies because there is a death that is ongoing and um, a, a devastating thing. Daniel, tell us about the first kind of when it came down the first month after that. What what was the process? Well, I, you know, Michael says great things, man. I really, I really resonates. But, um, you know, Greg, I was relieved to be honest with you. I was running at a pace for about two years. Uh, that was just you just couldn't couldn't comprehend. You couldn't keep up with, and you know I lost some people that I love dearly. We lost Billy Hornsby during that time. We lost a kid got killed in the front of our church on a Sunday morning. Uh, I lost another dear friend, and so I was not grieving well. I think I was medicating with just the speed of life, even as I was grieving those relationships. You know, we had built about a thirty million dollar building. I was waging war with the bank 
you know, there was a lot of drains in my life. Uh, I physically was exhausted, physically was sick. Uh, you know, my daughter was graduating. I wasn't handling that well. I just got to the point for about two years where I didn't handle anything well. And, you know, so, you know, I believe I was sick and exhausted and unfit for several years. And then during that time, there was a, a, a heavy communication and an inappropriate friendship, uh, and, and during, you know, which was, of course, a symptom of a deeper problem. And so when all this hit and came out in one day, I had the greatest relief because I was not wanting a relationship beyond that. I was wanting to be healthy. I did not know how to get off of this train uh, that was just had dialed off the cliff, and I was steering it. And so I had, I had 15 things wrong in my life. Mm -hmm. And so when all this came out, I was so relieved. What happens is nobody else is relieved. The pain and the horror and the, and, and the terror that you bring on other people's lives because you've been living so unhealthy. I, I never said no. Uh, you know, I was exhausted in every way. I hit the wall and got up and hit the wall. Um, you know, I went to counseling uh, about a month before I stepped down, and the counselor looked at me and said, you should take off a year. He said, I have met hundreds of pastors. He said, you're one of the most burnout pastors on the planet. Uh, I left that meeting and signed a book deal and then uh, went and spoke at a conference. You know, just no sense at all, no boundaries, wasn't listening to anybody, was not listening to my wife. Everybody knew that I was a wreck, and, um, and I wasn't listening to anybody. Uh, and so when all that hit, I had relief. Everybody else had torture, and uh, it was horrible. Uh, I, I, you know, to look at a pastor and say to them, imagine standing up in front of your church and the people that you love and stepping down because of sin and insanity and just the way you're living. You can't even imagine that announcement and the pain that you cause on people. And it continues to happen. So the first month was horrible for everybody. I was a little relieved because finally I felt like, uh, and then I think, Greg, the other thing is I was about ready to quit everything. I mean, I had checked out uh, weeks before that. Uh, I don't think I was suicidal. But, su but the idea of not living sounded good. Um, I, and so I was in massive depression. Uh, I felt alone. I felt like nobody cared. And so the loneliness, the depression. So to be able to be honest and get help and to sit with a counselor and to work through depression and to work through loneliness and to work through bad choices has been incredible. It's just the pain and the hell you calls for everybody else. Mm. Wow. Chip, weigh yes. in here just a little bit. You're the counselor. Um, what are the telltale signs uh, uh, coming into, and we've heard some of them, I think, and they're very similar, but um, wh what do you see? What what led up to, to uh, in both of these cases, that we can learn from? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I love the word, the question, why? Uh, like, like uh, I think both of them made reference to the issue behind the issue, and um, I, I would, uh, my heart breaks for like, and again, forgive me for where this may go, but Dino, you know, here's Dino in relationship with some really great guys, and yet he was hurting that badly and had nowhere to go. So, 
there's just lots of areas we've got to work on. I read a book years ago, and it and it and it it was based on a study of 250 guys who had gotten into moral trouble in the last couple of years, and they said they found four things that were consistent in all all 250, and they were these that that they, their drift started with small uh, compromises and breaches of principle, just little stuff that they drifted. They, they no longer or never had uh, uh, sources of loving accountability. Like Dino made a statement a minute ago, I wouldn't listen to anybody. Um, one of my rules of thumb is I don't trust anyone who doesn't have someone that can say anything they want to to them. Um, if, you don't, if you don't answer to someone with skin, then don't ask me to answer to you because you know, we, we've just got to have people in our life that can ask us the hard questions, that can put their arm, that love us and can put their arm around our shoulder and say, dude, you don't look good, man. You, something's going on. Uh, two more things they found was they, they didn't have a regular habit of nourishing their soul. You know, maybe that's some of what both, uh, both uh, have referred to, Michael and Dino. You know, no, the, the rhythms they were living by were just skewed. They knew it. Now, and that's the area I'd probably want to say is I'd like to back up far enough to say, okay, why that even? Like, Dino, if I was your counselor, I would want you to wrestle with why did I get my life in that state? Not what ended up happening, but how did I get there? And then the last thing was fascinating. The fourth thing they found was every one of them said, I believed it could never happen to me. Mm. And when you put all those four together, small breaches, no loving accountability, no routine of, and rhythm of, self, of self-nourishment and health, and then the belief that it could never happen to me. Um, to me, the, the antidote is some rhythmic fellowship, community, whatever, band of brothers that you spend enough time with, with enough truth, that they just know you well enough to say, Greg, you just... You're off your game. What's going on? Let's talk. And that just that in itself would be therapeutically preventative. Where do you where do you find people like that, Chip? I mean, wow. For for me, um, and let, let me say this before I say anything else: uh, we all fail. Okay, we, we are all capable. Uh, yeah. point, point number four: um, we we ought to rehearse. Constantly, I have a friend who is uh, an Orthodox priest, and uh, anytime he writes me an email, uh, he uh, uh, begins it with, uh, uh, "Father, forgive me for I have sinned." <laughs> you know, at first, I'm thinking, "Wow, that's kind of you know uh, ritualistic," but if we really believe that and open our conversation with, "You know what? I, I'm a I'm a sinner. I think mm. it'd be helpful, and I'm capable of." You know, I'm capable of, of uh, things that would, you know, be devastating to the people around me. So, but, but uh, where do you find people like that? Any, any suggestions? You know, when I'm talking to singles that want to get married, I say to them, don't look for the right person. Become the right person. Mm. So where to find them is become one. Mm. In other words, be a person who, who here's, here's what it's going to cost. Be a person who's willing to slow down enough to be fully present with other people. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that's feeding our relationship is we, 
we're spending enough time together to, to, that we're, we know each other's rhythms. And, and it's almost like two dogs sniffing each other. You can, you can just tell, you know, I can tell when you're not having a good day. Yeah. You know, and, but we've got we've to become a person who when I'm with you, I'm really, really with you. I would be honest with you. This, to me, what we're talking about, the precursor that predisposes us to what we're talking about is epidemic in the church right now. I mean, it's epidemic. Leaders that are living rhythms of life that are just not healthy. I love to ask leaders this question. Can you live the way you're living right now for decades? Hmm. If, you can't, if you can't live the way you're living right now for decades, why are you living that way? That's good. That's real. You know, uh, Dino, we, um, some of us in walking through the process with you, uh, Chip said, and it's great to have Chip in my life, to be honest with you. It's, it's a pain in the neck and a little bit lower into the backside. <laughs> when, when he, he comes at it pretty strong, to be honest with you. But, uh, I appreciate it. But, you know, as we talked about this, um, and we, I, I think, I will say for myself, I feel like I failed you uh, in a conversation probably six months uh, before kind of everything came out uh, when um, didn't follow up with, I knew you weren't on your game. And, you know, you were, you were tired and you were exhausted. And you were even talking at that point about, uh, you know, uh, having crazy thoughts about giving up. And I don't think we pressed in far enough at all, obviously. Uh, but as we, as we looked at your life, uh, probably six to eight months into the process of recovery, uh, Chris Hodges and I, I think, were talking about it and said, Dino is present in conversations. Uh, 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 Pre-fall, Dino wasn't present. Dino is present in conversations. How did you get comfortable with peace? Because your lifestyle was not there. Maybe talk to us a little bit about the process of recovery uh, for you. What, what did that look like? Well, it looked like having a, a guy like Chip, Dr. Litchie from Emerge Ministry. Greg, you know those guys. Yeah. Um, he got in my, in my world, got in my junk, and began to deal with my approval addiction, my, mm -hmm. my pace of life. Um, just so many things that... You know, I had a speech problem growing up and was always someone who had to climb up the mountain. Anything I got, everything I got. And Chip knew me when I was young. I knew Chip when I first came to Christ in Myrtle Beach. I was a fighter, a climber, an achiever because nothing came easy for me. And so I took that on into my Christianity, took that into ministry. And uh, and so I think when you lose it, when you're at the point of where you're you're losing everything, and you're losing those that you love the most. I never had an issue where I did not want to be with my wife, or I did not fall in love, or anything. You know, I wanted when you when you look and all of a sudden it like a sledgehammer, it hits you that you can lose it all: your kids, mm. friends, your income, your your family, all these things. You know, it has a it has, brokenness has a way of getting your attention. <laughs> so. Uh, I was extremely severely broken man, and it all came crashing down. And so out of the brokenness, it's like God began to speak to me again. 
I think I had become hard and callous to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. The only way I was hearing God was from a megaphone. That's not a good practice. I began, you know, I shut down. Uh, believe it or not, Greg, I didn't have any technology for three months. Mm -hmm. The greatest part of my healing, one of the greatest contributors to my healing, was no cell phone, no laptop, no social media, no TV, zero. Nothing but words and waiting on God. So I detoxed from myself and just the activity. Out of that, I began to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. I began to embrace grace again and listen and realize that when you've been blinded and all of a sudden now you see the sky and it is blue, you love the blue of the sky. And so I've just kind of rediscovered life and friendships. And then there's some normal practices that I try to do. I try to keep my phone in my pocket. I try not to think about what I want to say next. Uh, you know, I realize that I'm not that important, that life goes on. When, you know, one of the things that you realize as a pastor, you think you're it on a stick, and the church cannot make it without you. Let me tell you something. The day after you resign, they all go on. Everybody goes on without you. You're not that important. And I saw that firsthand. It really is, at the end of the day, all about Jesus. And mm -hmm. so I just rediscovered that and, and got peaceful again. And just the simple things of sleeping of resting, of reflecting, of meditating, and then probably at the end of the day, rediscovering prayer has been probably the healthiest thing that's happened. Mm. Michael, how about you? What's the, what has the recovery looked like? What uh, What's process for you? Yeah, you know, I think, and I think it's different for everybody, um, but, but Pastor Dino mentioned too just the idea of brokenness. And uh, I, w I was just thinking while he was talking about how broken I felt because a lot of times we f you can forget that and, you know, that, that creates other problems. I actually don't want to forget that. Um, but I remember driving in the car and, and thinking, complete seriousness, uh, that I should go in and rob that liquor store because then I just wouldn't have to deal with any of this stuff. That's how, that's how bad it was. When you're contemplating robbing a liquor store in Alabama, it is not good. Um, awesome. so, so, um, so, so I, I was broken. Um, we, we went through about two to three weeks uh, of just absolute, I mean, I can't imagine how bad hell would be if it's worse than that. And so, um, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen with my wife, with my kids, with anything. And my wife is the true hero uh, in this entire, entire process. And, um, you know, because she, she, um, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much grace she has exhibited. Um, and so she she kind of decided to stay. Um, we got it, we found a great counselor, and so I was, so so that was crucial crucial for for me um, and for us really because we both went. I mean, I went, she went, we went together. Um, we still go, and it's been three years. It is the absolute best hundred and fifty dollars an hour I spend or whatever it costs. Um, and so that, that, that counseling piece was massively huge. Um, I, I joined a group of guys um, at a, a, a recovery program deal, um, also helpful. Um, the counseling piece was more helpful. The, the, the group of guys was, was also helpful, went through that. Um, and then we just, we, just um, we literally went to church. We went, you know, because I went from being a pastor, knowing everybody, kids knew everybody, everybody knew my wife. Um, we found the biggest church we could find in Atlanta and went and sat there for one year and we didn't do anything. I resisted the urge to try to lead anything or be in charge of something. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want to be on the parking team. 
Um, and we sat in church for a year and just went as a family. And it was the first time. I mean, I was, I've been in ministry since I was 18. So it was the first time as a family we actually got in the car and drove to church together. And so we took that, that first year for us was, was a massive pause and a lot of working, a lot of counseling, a lot of conversations, um, I think soul work, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until you know after that year that I kind of kind of felt like okay, I didn't even talk about this to anybody else for a year. It was like let's just, let's I, you know I need I need to work on me, and because uh, I realized I was going to have these problems. I mean if this if this if my marriage ended and all that stuff, I'm still going to be me. You take your problems with you wherever you go, and so I had to work on me for that year, and it was it was very difficult. It was it was a it was a tough process like tilling really hard soil because that's what my heart had become, like hard soil. Um, but, you know, once we got to that one-year mark, um, and our counselor told us that would, that would be a big deal for us personally, um, just, you know, our marriage, that once you get to one year, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big turning point. And, um, you know, we got, we got through that and then continued to progress over the last two. So. Good. Good. Well, that's, uh, you know, it, um, the process for you was a year of just kind of sitting down, um, being in a church. Um, uh, we're all in ministry, we know that, uh, but some people are in vocational ministry. Uh, you, Michael, are in vocational ministry, although you're not pastoring a church. At what point did you kind of pick that up again? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it, it probably took that year, and that was on it. That was part of that counseling process too. Um, because, um, and again, I think everybody's different. Um, a lot of people I know that have gone through this, they, they stayed far away from ministry as possible during their recovery time, um, and I completely respect that. Um, for me, if I was in something where I wasn't using my brain, um, I, I, would have probably, I would have probably gone into a very deep depression. And so, but part of that whole process of like what to do and, you know, how to kind of how to work and when to kind of jump back into kind of the quasi-parachurch ministry. Um, number one was my wife, and number two is, was, our, was our counselor. And when they both were kind of, when they both kind of said, um, hey, you know, we're okay, we think this is good, and we know this is going to raise issues, but we can kind of move there, I, I kind of felt the, the freedom, freedom to do that. But I wouldn't have done it without either one of them saying, um, yeah, this is this is okay. Dino, for you, the process was kind of a year away from ministry entirely, and then another year, which we're coming to the end of right now, uh, where um, you were uh, serving in the church, serving the ark under other. Is, is everybody else hear me? I can. Yeah, no. you're back. <clears throat> now we do. You're back. Okay. All right. Dino, uh, tell me about the – you were out of ministry, hands-on for a year, and then under kind of um, uh, ministry with some other people, and we're coming down to the end of that. Is that tell me about that process. Is that, is that kind of how, how it's gone? Yeah, it's been great. I mean – I think that was so important for me is to detox and to just get over me and uh, and and then and my wife and I 
just be together with the kids and normality, going to church. Um, and I, I believe the other thing was I needed a part of my healing was submitting and totally submitting with no questions. I mean, I remember when Robert Morris looked at me after about three weeks of stepping down and said, you, you submit to these events. It was about, about I'm sorry, it's about eight weeks. Because the first two months of my restoration was, was a little crazy. Uh, and we, you know about that, Greg. There was some overseers and this and that. But then when you guys came in, Greg, yourself, Chris Hodges, uh, Stovall Weens, John Siebling, when, when you guys got involved, kind of that six to eight week period, um, and, and Robert Warsaw said, you submit to these guys. They're not perfect. No restoration is perfect. But uh, if you'll submit, God's favor and blessing will come back on your life, and you'll look back one day and realize that this was all Romans 8.28 over your life. And so I think a big part of my healing was submitting to my wife, submitting to, to my friends, um, and I did that, and I've, I've you know tried to do that. And so that was a big part of my healing. And so you guys felt like, you know, hey, here's what we need to do. You sought a lot of counsel, and I've tried to follow that. Uh, you know, John Siebling, the first year, ran point. So we talked every day about, you know, don't do this, do this, relearning, relearning. I mean, to the basics of what the day looks like for me. And then when I moved here to Birmingham, you know, it's, the ministry has been supervised. So my calendar, which is a big part of my problem, never saying no, overscheduling. John Siebling and Chris Hodges, they approved my calendar. So I don't travel, I don't speak. I don't do anything without asking permission and submitting. And that has been, I guess now I realize the freedom and the liberty, and I feel so stinking healthy now because I have boundaries and I have people in my life. And as you say, the next year comes to a close. What I want to be able to do is continue to have those things and have those friends, those brothers in my life that can watch my pace, watch as I deal with pain, and then also help me schedule and calendar Hopefully, I've learned some some good boundaries and practices. But yeah, I mean, it's been submission and authority has been incredible in my life. You know, I I um, in thinking through this and in watching you guys watch some other guys, I think there's a definite difference between uh, woundedness and brokenness. I think that when we minister out of brokenness, there's a power there. When we minister out of woundedness, we wound people. And I think part of the issue is um, sometimes, uh, sometimes guys are, are not willing uh, to set it aside. You know, I, I know guys that have pronounced themselves healed, you know, after six weeks or months or whatever. And, uh, you know, and then they thrust themselves onto the body of Christ. And uh, oftentimes we've got wounded people wounding other people. Uh, would you agree with it? Chip, let me ask you, how, how do you feel about that, and, um, that concept? Yeah, I mean, no, no person should decide when they're ready. I mean, so I, uh, I, think, I think both people made reference to it, uh, Dino and Michael. The wife should obviously have a pretty big say in it. Um, hopefully some people that they respect and submit to should have a pretty big say in it. And... Uh, and, and it would be cool to, to maybe have permission to talk to the counselor even to just turn the dirt over a little bit to, to get some insight into how can we best support this person going forward. Um, in other words, what are kind of the, 
I mean, you know, Dino could probably tell you, Michael could probably tell you, what, what are my potential danger spots? If I'm going to get in trouble, here's how, you're gonna, here's how it's going to start showing itself. And, uh, and you just want to have some awareness of that so that the people around you can kind of know what to keep an eye on. But, um, yeah, I mean, what you said about people that, that kind of return to the, to the limelight too soon, I would say, unfortunately, that's the norm rather than the exception. And part of that, honestly, probably has to do with supporting a family. You know? Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I know that uh, with Dino, um, that um, the, the, the church honored uh, some of the years that he had put in there. And then we, uh, as friends, uh, some overseers, had conversations that said, if we have to get significant skin in the game, we're going to do it in order to see this guy healed uh, rather than rushing through a process. And uh, so that was, well, that'd be a whole other conversation. I know we're, th this is fascinating to me and I hope it's helpful to some other people. You know we're running, running out of time. I, I, I want to do a couple of things. Um, one, I wanted to have a, a, a short conversation about boundaries. Michael, uh, are there boundaries now uh, in your life that weren't there before, and if so, what are they? Yeah, you know, um, to to um, honestly to answer that question, no, because I had all the boundaries in my life before. I just didn't keep them, and mm. so um, you know, it, it, the the irony is is um, you know I never rode in a car alone. You know, all all the things that people talk about. If you are a devious person, you can get around any kind of kind of rules. So the boundaries that I had before, I think the difference is now I just I just have a I just I want them now, whereas before I resented them. And um, the other, the, but the but the big piece is is the authenticity piece. And so I think a lot of times, um, at least in my world, we talked a lot about being accountable and staying accountable and having some 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 guardrails set up. And those are gr those are great. They're just not enough. Um, because I I had somebody come along and say, hey, things are not Things don't appear good in your marriage. Are they okay? And I just lied. Yes, they're okay. And that wasn't true. And so um, for me, it was the it was the boundary piece. Um, but but to to be real with somebody. And so if you have um, if you have accountability without authenticity, it doesn't work. Um, and so the, I think the boundaries in, in my life are just the same as they were before. But I, I think I'm more real. I'm, I'm more real with my wife. I'm more real with my friends, the people I kind of work with and do ministry. Um, and it's just a it's just a more realness that I still have to fight for because that's not totally natural for me. Okay, Dino, how about you? Boundaries. I know you've talked just a little bit about some, but yeah. what, uh, what what are boundaries for you? Well, what Michael said is true. If you have you have accountability without being authentic, you just you're you're in a bind. But um, you know what was good with being with a counselor, and Chip said something good. What I loved about our counselor is he was able to connect with you guys, and there was a constant communication between our counselor and the guys that were overseeing me, making sure that there was help and there was repentance and there was change of life. So we, were, I was able to identify actually seven vulnerabilities in my life that made me vulnerable. And you know, one of them we talked about when I get tired, uh, I make poor decisions. Uh, when I have no margin. Um, I will press the envelope. No margin to me is an is a is adrenaline for some weird whacked out reason. If I if my life is crammed together and it's one thing after another, 
it revs the engines. It's just uh, crazy. And so when there's no margin, uh, when I get alone in my thoughts, I can have crazy thoughts about life and perceptions. And so, you know, there are these seven, and some of them are personal and private, but uh, we identified seven vulnerabilities. And I think it's, you know, before I, what Michael said, I resented vulnerabilities. I resented all that. Now it's like, this is awesome. And uh, what's amazing, I love how uh, Chip said that you and him sniff each other, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, that's just a great, I love that analogy. It's yeah, that's another, that's another ministry hangout yeah. analogy. We'll talk about how to stay healthy through <laughs> sniff. How to sniff your friends. But, uh, one thing I want to say about that is I, I really actually love the place I'm at because you can sniff out what I was in other people pretty quickly. And so it's almost like you, 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 it takes one to know one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I could see it in myself, and you could see it in others. And so it really is turned into Romans eight twenty eight. And I do, and I, I want to say this real quick. I appreciate you, Greg. Uh, you stepped in when a lot of people were stepping out. And I think one of the reasons, and I bet Chip can attest to this, one of the reasons why people go back into ministry is because I'm going to say this. The majority of restoration programs and plan is an old wineskin, and it's broken, and it doesn't work. So someone all of a sudden gets frustrated. I don't believe. I don't believe restoration. I believe it's meant to humble you. It's not meant to humiliate you. Mm. What happens is restoration becomes humiliating. So therefore, the person who's under restoration revolts. Mm. Uh, you know, can you speak to that chip for a second? Well, you know, we say in parenting, rules without relationship result in rebellion. So, so when you when you back somebody in a corner like that, who's who obviously they wouldn't even be there if they weren't strong-willed, you know, proud, you know, go take the hill kind of people. So, yeah, I, I love your wording. Uh, the process should be aimed at humility, not humiliation. That's a great way to put it. And um, whatever, it's it's it is crazy. It, it, it's not a, it, to me. It's about getting to the root issues and creating. Uh, even like Greg said a minute ago, if you got to reach into your own checkbook, creating the environment where this guy, this couple, this family can go get the help they need to turn this thing back around later and make the devil sorry it ever happened. Uh, and and that's ultimately what we all, should all want. Uh, you know, I love Isaiah 61, where the part Jesus did not read in Luke 4 is the day of vengeance. And I think the greatest vengeance is when the stuff we get trapped in is the very area that God uses us to minister to other people. Mm. And that's just, that's just vengeance. That's sweet. Mm. So, but, but we got to be committed to helping each other get there. That is powerful, Chip. Wow. I wish I would have said that. <laughs> uh, can I, Greg, can I say one thing that Absolutely. I would, I would, now don't hold me to this. But I would bet a month's salary, a, a month of my Seco salary on, on this pill, this magic pill. And here's the pill. What if twice a year, every one of us, twice a year, with our wives, was involved in a three-day, two-night retreat where we, where we had someone there skilled enough to not let us stay on the surface? Mm. See, see, here's the deal. Michael said something a minute ago. 
I had a friend who asked me, hey, your marriage feels like it's off track. What's the deal? And he, what did Michael say? I lied to him. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'll bet money, Michael, you tell me if I'm wrong. His wife would not have lied. Am I, <laughs> am I right, Michael? Absolutely. So yeah. here's the deal, guys. We, you, we, I say it to, I'm, I'm saying it to you, but I'm saying it to me. We, we, we lie to ourselves. Oh, we, we have accountability. No, you don't. Is your wife involved? Nope. Then you don't have accountability because we lie to each other. If your wives are involved, they will not let you lie. And I know every one of us guys listening, that scares the mess out of us. <laughs> oh, Chip, you're a rabble rouser, man. We, we, you know, we need to do that. We need to, to act on your challenge. And uh, we could save a year's salary at Seacoast, and that would be. <laughs> okay, I want to, um, we're just almost out of time, but there's just a couple of things I want to get to. Uh, Dino, there are probably people listening who followed you. What would you want to say to them? Well, I'd want to ask them to forgive me. You know, I, I'm sorry for the way I, I lived my life and I failed, you know, miserably. And um, but you know, I thank God for grace, and uh, you know, hopefully they can learn from my pain and learn from you know bad choices. You know, and it's 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 tough to disappoint. When you are when you are an approval addiction person, and you disappoint, it is very hard. And so, you know, people who followed me that I failed, I'm sorry, and I would ask them to forgive me. And uh, you know, thank God for grace. Michael, let me give you a swing at that. Yeah, I mean that that was so well said. I hate to I hate, it sounds. Um, that I hurt, and I've got to track down even a few of them and sit down. Um, sometimes that's impossible. Um, but there's so many people, um, you know, it's circles going out, and I don't even know some of the people that that I hurt. And so, um, you know, I would say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm 